0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We continue our series of studies in Matthew's Gospel. We are this morning in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. We're reading the account of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it's a familiar passage, a familiar miracle of our Lord's to most of you, if not all of you, I suspect. And apparently it was one that made quite an impression on the disciples of Jesus, the writers of the Gospel, because all four Gospels include the account of this miracle of our Lord. So let's look at Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Let's pray. Open to us, Lord, your word. Give us your Holy Spirit to learn those things that you would teach us and have us know this morning from the scriptures. Father, we pray that you would meet with us and give us grace to worship you even in the hearing of your word the contemplation of it together. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, Jesus' Galilean ministry was drawing to a close. Jesus was, at this point, about one year from the cross. Uh, He has been experiencing a time of... um, if not popularity, at least then acclaim, increasing renown. We saw chapter 13, Jesus teaching on the nature of the kingdom. But as we come to the end of that chapter, things start to take on a somewhat darker tone. Uh, beginning with the end of chapter 13, Jesus' rejection in his own hometown of Nazareth. And then we saw last week the uh, response of Herod, the Tetrarch, to the ministry of Jesus. In fact, he thought Jesus was John the Baptist, returned from the grave, perhaps with vengeance on his mind. And then we have that flashback we looked at last week that began in chapter 14, verse 3, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison, and then uh, eventually had John beheaded. And then we come to our passage here, and we read in verse 13, Now when Jesus heard this, heard what? Well, it's very understandable if you take this to refer to the death of John the Baptist. After all, that's what Matthew had just written about. And in fact, verse 12 says, John's disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus... Now, when Jesus heard this, heard the report of John's death, however, there's good reason to think that this does not refer so much to John's death, but actually refers back to 1 and 2, to Herod's response to Jesus' ministry. After all, that's what Matthew was talking about in verse 1. Herod heard about the fame of Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John. That was a flashback, that was looking going back in time to the reason for Herod's thinking that Jesus was now John the Baptist returned from the dead. That had happened some time earlier. And when we come to verse thirteen, Matthew is resuming the narrative. And just as Jesus has withdrawn before, when uh, the pressure started to increase, not out of fear, but in order to continue his ministry without undue provocation of the authorities until perhaps the appointed time. So I think it's best to understand what Jesus is responding here to is is not the death of John, which apparently had happened some time earlier, but the awareness of Herod's thinking. Herod's having become aware of Jesus and thinking he was John the Baptist and before there could be some sort of arrest uh, before the appointed time. Jesus then withdraws to a desolate place by himself. And in this passage, uh, it leads up to the feeding of the 5,000. again, as we've said, it occurs in all four Gospels. Uh, this, this was a, a, a miracle that made a big impact on Jesus' disciples, and rightfully so. Uh, it is a profound miracle on several fronts, as we will see. But as we look at this passage and look at what Jesus does here, uh, there are, are three things that uh, I'd like for us to notice about Jesus' ministry here, uh, every one of which has something to do with us and something to teach us. First of all, uh, Jesus acted here out of a deep-seated motivation. This was not a a random occurrence, uh, and it certainly wasn't something done, as none of Jesus' miracles was done, just to wow people, just to impress the crowd. We've already seen Jesus wouldn't do miracles on command, and he didn't do miracles uh, just to impress people. But there's a deep-seated motivation here that we discover in verse 14. Now, Jesus is withdrawing. He gets into a boat. He crosses, but the people heard about it. And on foot, they went ahead of him. And when Jesus got where he was going, he's met by the welcome committee of this huge crowd. Well, so much for withdrawal. Well, he withdrew from the region, uh, but he did not manage to withdraw from the crowds. But what is Jesus' response? Verse 14, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Have you ever been away on vacation, and the office calls, and that some trivial trifling, tedious detail that really could have been handled by someone else perhaps, or maybe called with some huge problem and you think, I'm on vacation, I don't need this, I'm here to get away from this, I need time to myself, I need time away, and here it is again. Never felt that way? You Imagine Jesus felt that way when he saw the crowds. Scriptures tell us he did not. He didn't feel that way. That was not his reaction. When he saw this crowd of people, it said he felt compassion. Now, we've seen that before. In Jesus' view of people uh, was, was very different from so many others in his day. One of the reasons I believe that people flocked to Jesus was his response to people. Uh, Jesus did not look down on these people as sinners as the Pharisees did. Remember, they considered people who didn't live up to their standard, actually their false standard. It was not God's standard. It was one of their own devising uh, and one that was outward and superficial. They looked down on people who didn't toe that line as sinners, wrote them off as sinners. Nor did Jesus look at the people as a means to an end, as many of the political leaders and the rulers did. The people were something to be used. The people were... Those to be managed as resources in order to consolidate and hold on to political power, temporal power. Remember Jesus told his disciples, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over one another. But you are not to be that way. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's not power plays. It's not climbing the rungs of power. But you are to serve one another. Jesus didn't see the people as sinners, though yes, they were sinners, they were in their sin, but he didn't write them off as sinners. Jesus didn't see the people as a means to an end, something to be used to attain his own goals, to achieve his own ambitions. Jesus didn't even see the people as an annoyance, as maybe even a necessary intrusion, as his disciples sometimes seemed to. To view people. Remember when the mothers were bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless them, and they said, "No, no, go away. He's too busy. He can't be bothered with you right now." Jesus didn't see the people as an interruption. They didn't see him as uh, see them as he didn't see them as an intrusion upon his time. It wasn't as though Jesus was busy. He didn't have time for them, so that they could come back later. They were Jesus busy. They were why he had come. And so we do read here Jesus' reaction. When he saw the crowds, something deep within him was stirred. And in fact, the word here, to feel compassion. We've talked about this before when we've come across in the scriptures Jesus feeling this emotion. It's an ugly word with a beautiful meaning. Splachnitzomai. But it means to feel compassion. It actually refers to the the, splachnon, the bowels, the intestines, the innermost being In our language, the idiom is the heart. But the point is, deep within himself, Jesus was stirred. His heart went out to these people. Matthew doesn't say it, but in other places we read that he saw them as harassed, as helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? Does that mean he just saw them as pitiful? No. It means he saw them as sons of, and, and daughters of Adam and Eve whose being, whose lives, whose world had been ravaged by the fall. People who had inevitable hurt, inevitable pain, inevitable disappointment, inevitable frustration. In other words, people like you and me. Because of the, this fallen and broken and sinful world in which we live. People with scars. People with secrets. People with pain. And so when Jesus saw people made in the image of God, created to know God and walk with God, and yet separated from God by their sin and injured and wounded and damaged because of their sin and the sins of others, He felt compassion on them. His heart for them was stirred. annoyance? Hardly. They were why He had come. And so we see this deep-seated motivation that moved Jesus, not to reject them, not to go away, (laughs) not to turn the boat around and head the other direction, but to go into them, to move into their midst, and begin to heal them, to heal their diseases. And dear friends, if we're going to be the kind of believers, if we're going to be the kind of church that honors Christ, that Christ's life. We must be a compassionate church, a church that sees one another and sees those who come in to our doors from the community and those who don't come in our doors but are out around us in the community as people who are made in the image of God, created to know God, created to walk with God, and yet separated from God by their sin and damaged because of their sin and the sins of others, but people who need Jesus. Because that's how Jesus saw them. And that's how Jesus would see them today. Seeing beyond the filthiness of their life, seeing beyond the rejection and resistance they might offer, seeing beyond all of the things in them that would lead you to think, this need to stay as far away as possible. Seeing them in need of his grace, in need of the Savior. That's how Jesus reacted when he saw people. How do you react? How do I react? Jesus was moved with this deep-seated motivation of compassion from deep within his being. But as we progress here, we also see uh, not only this deep-seated motivation in Jesus' heart, but a forward-looking instruction. A forward-looking instruction. And we'll explain why it's forward-looking in just a minute. But we see this as we go on here in verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Look, Jesus, we're, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. And it's getting to be kind of late in the day. It probably was late afternoon uh, is the word that's used here. It could mean late afternoon to right after nightfall. Uh, actually, the same word is used in the next passage. It refers to that later time. Uh, but right now, probably late afternoon. Uh, and the disciples are saying, you know, here we are. There's, n- the, the, You need to send the crowds away so they can go to various villages around and buy food for themselves. Well... What's going on here? Well, the disciples, no doubt, are sincere uh, that the crowd needs to eat. There's nothing to eat here. You need to send them away. You need to break up this meeting so they can go on their way and go get something to eat. I think they were sincere, but I also think they perhaps were reminded by their own rumblings in their stomach that it was getting to be about supper time. Uh, so, Jesus, if you would just call this to a close and send everybody on home so they can go get something to eat somewhere... Uh, everything will just be really good. Now I think they were sincere, but I also think they were concerned with their own uh, their own hunger and their own needs. Well, Jesus responds to them. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You can only imagine the uh, reaction. They said to him, "We have only five loaves here and two fish." Uh, they were barley loaves. They're probably about the size of a bun. In fact, five of them could conceivably make up a meal for one person uh, with, with a couple of fish. That's basically what you have here, is enough food for a full meal for one person. And they say, well, this is all we have. But Jesus said to them, bring them here to me. And Jesus orders the crowds to sit down. Uh, Matthew leaves out the detail. They were organized in, in groups. And we read, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. A forward-looking instruction here. What was it? Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. Did Jesus really expect the disciples to be able to feed the crowd? Well, the disciples took him quite literally and said, well, you know, we've kind of scrounged around the best we can come up with. Here's five loaves and two fishes, but what is that for this vast crowd? We we say it's the feeding of the 5,000, but Matthew lists just the men, including women and children. It may have been as many as 15,000, maybe 20,000. This was a big crowd. What is Jesus doing here? And then he proceeds to do what is, in essence, an act of, creation bringing something out of nothing well yes he started with five loaves and two fishes so you could say it wasn't absolutely out of nothing but how could so little feed so many he obviously created multiplied more stuff more bread more fish that was not there before and he gave it to the to the disciples and they in turn went and distributed it to this this crowd of people what's the instruction Jesus says to his disciples you feed them but what's the lesson they can't but with Jesus power they could this is a forward looking lesson because one day Jesus would not be here with his disciples but it would be the disciples who were feeding the church but were they adequate to do that? Absolutely not. Some of you have been with us in the study in Second Corinthians on Sunday night. And if there's anything that Paul emphasizes, especially in the second part of that letter, it is his own weakness, and yet his glory in his weakness. Because when he is weak, he is strong. Because the power of Christ is seen in him. Because his weakness drives him to rely on the Lord. to Trust in his power. He said, who is sufficient for this ministry earlier in the letter? He says, no one is the implication, but our sufficiency comes from God who calls us as ministers of the new covenant. You see, Jesus was giving a forward-looking instruction here to teach his disciples a couple lessons. One, he was calling on them to feed the people. Two, they could not do it apart from Christ. That was a very vital lesson for them to learn. And it's a vital lesson for us to learn as well in ministering to one another, and ministering to those outside the church. Do you feel quite inadequate to the task? I certainly hope so. Because you see, when it comes to meeting the needs of people around us, meeting the needs of our own children, meeting the needs of one another, whether it's teaching or serving, whatever the, the action might be, We're bringing five loaves and two fishes to a crowd of thousands. But the lesson is this. We bring the meager resource we have to Jesus. And he takes that and he multiplies that and he uses that. And he gives it back to us to be able to minister to others in a way that astoundingly meets their needs. What an amazing thing for those disciples to be part of that. The, the 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 bread and the fish that just kept on coming kept on coming. where's it coming from? I don't know, but Jesus keeps giving us more of it, and we keep distributing it to the point where when they're finished they have twelve basketfuls left over. why twelve well the the number obviously is biblically significant the twelve tribes, the twelve apostles, but why twelve baskets. I don't know, although my own thinking on that is to emphasize to them that when they bring their meager abilities and resources to Jesus, he multiplies it and uses it to an abundance. To be, to, as, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see, when we are weak, when we have a great sense of our own inability, then, as Paul says, we are strong then the multiplying, creating power of Jesus can work in us to take what we have and do through us what we never could do in and of ourselves. You see, the glory is God's. We rely on Him. We trust in Him. The disciples could take no credit for what happened here, and yet Jesus was pleased to use them as the means of being the blessing to all of these people and distributing the food that Jesus brought about Himself. But then that brings us to the third thing we should notice here. Not only the deep-seated motivation Jesus had as he looked at people, this compassion he felt, and not only this forward-looking, forward-looking to that day when the disciples would be leading the church, forward-looking instruction to them to feed the people, despite their lack of resources, but we also come to this abundant provision. Again, twelve basketfuls left over. Now, Jesus did provide physically. The people were hungry. There was, there was an immediate obvious need. It was late in the day. They had either not brought food or had eaten what little they had. And Jesus met their physical need. But if that's all we see here, if the only lesson is that Jesus will provide for us, which is biblically true, then we have missed something much, much greater than this. And John really does a good job in the passage we read earlier of bringing out the spiritual point of what Jesus is, is doing with this physical bread. A, a real historic miracle that taught a spiritual lesson. And we see that as we look back, and if you want to turn back to John chapter 6, the, the point that Jesus was making here. Remember, the people came after him later. And Jesus says, you're looking for me not because of the signs, not because of the spiritual truths I'm teaching you, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're just looking for more food. And he says, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And said, "Well, what do we need to do to get this? What do we do to do the works of God?" Jesus said, "This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent." You see, yes, Jesus fed them physically, and yes, there was an echo of the giving of manna there, as Jesus points out. You know, they say, "Well, Moses gave us manna; our fathers provided this for us." And Jesus corrects them: "Well, it technically, was not Moses; it was my Father in heaven who." Gave you the manna, however, that itself was but a symbol. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gave life to the world. Well, they thought, that sounds good. Uh, Give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Does Jesus provide for us physically? Yes. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But the point is far deeper than that in the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus himself is the bread of life. Don't just eat the physical bread. Feed on Jesus by faith. To believe in Jesus is what the miracle is intended to teach. See beyond just the outward feeding to the spiritual reality of who Jesus is. Are you feeding on Jesus are you satisfied with Jesus? Or do you try to satisfy your soul with other things, whether it's uh, wealth, uh, for security or comfort, or material possessions, self image, accomplishment, achievement, your reputation, success at work, all kinds of things that we try to satisfy our soul with that ultimately, ultimately will come up short? I think the reason those 12 basketfuls, large baskets brimming with bread, were left over was to teach us that Jesus himself is more than sufficient to meet the deepest needs of the soul. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread for our souls. Feed on him. Believe in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this uh, work of our Lord Jesus that, uh, Lord, certainly met an immediate physical need but teaches us so much more than that. Father, forgive us that we feed on other things and yet, Lord, we, we find time and again that ultimately anything else disappoints. Lord, we feed on Jesus. We trust in him. We thank you for who he is and pray that he would indeed be the bread of life to our souls. We pray it in his name. Amen.